And we're going straight into our midweek media watch with Hayden Donnell. Hayden, welcome to the program. And you wanted to start off with what else but uh, the election. That's right, Mark. And I am, of course, talking about Forest and Bird's Bird of the Century <laughs> election. Now, its result was revealed this morning, and this is how it was announced by Forest and Bird's chief executive, Nicola Torkey, on TVNZ's Breakfast. Uh, look, Forest and Bird is proud to announce that New Zealand's Bird of the Century is... <laughs> the Boo Tiki Tiki! <laughs> John Oliver will be thrilled. <laughs> it is John Oliver running interference. Yes. Absolutely gutted in the studio there. Yeah. It was almost a question of how much did it win by. I mean, it was all along was going to be a bit like that, and no wonder they had to work over time to count. Exactly. So, and, I mean, if you have if you have been living under a rock and you don't know why everyone's gutted and talking about John Oliver, it's because, if you don't know how these elections work, every bird has a campaign manager that has to promote it to the public, win votes to their cause. John Oliver and his team this year, or for the bird of the century election, they were given the role managing the Poo Tiki Tiki, which I also didn't know existed, uh, <laughs> has an, a natural orange mullet and it pukes a lot. So these are the two major facts that you have to know about the Poo Tiki Tiki. Uh, Nevertheless, John Oliver, despite the disadvantages that uh, the Putiki Tiki has, went to extreme lengths to promote it around the world. He put up billboards everywhere. He repeatedly featured this bird on his show, and obviously it paid off. Mm-hmm. It was such a amazing campaign on his part, wasn't it, to have the billboards in Wellington and all over the world, London and Paris and whatever, and Wisconsin, I understand. Yeah, amazing campaign. But, of course, who has the resources exactly. to do that? Like, only this this yeah. man. And that's ruffled some feathers, yeah. Mark. I have to tell you, there's been some feathers ruffled around here. Uh, RNZ Tahi presenter Evie Orp was one of those. She, she actually got in a scrap with John Oliver over his loud campaign and, in turn, he took revenge by featuring her on his show last week tonight. So here's how that played out. She wasn't the only New Zealander who got a little testy with us. There was also this woman. You want to take the piss out of our very important election, then I send 14 emails to everyone on your team to try and get you to come and defend yourself in another bird debate, and you said no. Do you have a bird? Yeah, Kiriru. It's the best bird. OK, let me address that. Okay, of course I said no to that debate. I don't even know how to argue with someone who is that wrong. This is the best bird? Please, it's a pigeon in a tank top. Debate over. I'm not, I'm not getting on a plane. To destroy you like that. So that was uh, John Oliver's verdict on the Kiridu there. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, with, I'm with Emmy on that one. Uh, Evie, yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely Kiridu. love a Kiridu. Oh. Beautiful bird. Yeah, I would. I'm, I'm with her absolutely. Yeah, I'm just Kiwi. What a basic choice. Kiridu yeah. all the way. Uh, <laughs> other people on X, they also gave feedback to John Oliver. I, I, I really liked what Emmy Rakati had to say. She raised the US's long history of foreign election interference, <laughs> and she said. Uh, the poo tiki tiki is a Yankee comp- comprador puppet, and I will never acknowledge it as legitimate. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Good on you, Emmy. Well done. So a lot of people raising concerns with this election. Some media organisations went a bit too far with with their headlines, I reckon. Yeah, and I want to call out the New Zealand Herald here for what I regard as potentially mischievous bit of headline writing. So Mm -hmm. its story on the election winner was headline bird of the century winner, John Oliver's favourite Pūtekiteki wins after mass voter fraud. Now reading that, you could get the idea that the Pūtekiteki owed its victory to mass voter fraud. That's not the case. The fraudulent votes were primarily for other birds, including 40,000 cast by a single person for the Eastern Rockhopper penguin. So other obviously other people were trying to scupper John Oliver's do- dominance here, and it's you can't joke around with this kind of stuff in this day and age, Mark. We've seen allegations of voter fraud, illegitimate elections. We've seen them almost derail democracies overseas. So I'd hope that we'd show a little bit of restraint reporting these kinds of things at home. The Herald's yes, actually put, put back online voting. Uh, for years, do you think? Yeah, yes. well, it's, it's probably a big setback to online voting, <laughs> overseas voting. This is a, this isn't actually the only sort of uh, complaint of its type that I want to sort of lob at the Herald this week. But there'll be more on that later. Okay. At, at the least, it's disrespectful to the in- integrity of the Forest and Bird staff yes. who have spent the last few weeks counting around the clock. Right, it is time, I think, to bring in the uh, the Manager of Communications at Forest and Bird New Zealand, Lynn Freeman. Lynn, welcome to Nights once again. Kia ora koro, welcome. Hello, you two. <laughs> Kia ora, Lynn. I, I just want to ask you first off, what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> Happy days. Mission accomplished. I was listening to the news. Big item on your news bulletin, even in the morning report trailer. Um, this evening, my boss, Nicola Tuki, is talking to the BBC twice. She's done a live interview on 7 News. She's spoken to a couple of American journalists, Māori TV, TVNZ, um, a reporter who's looking at um, the upcoming cuts to the Department of Conservation, which is a big story. We've kind of tied it in with Bird of the Century because it's all about um, awareness and advocacy. I mean, John Oliver, he's kind of done our job for us in many ways. I'm not apologetic. Um, I've been asked so many times today about political interference. Um, but people are forgetting that th- that he's very open about the reason he's doing yeah. this, you know. Like, our, our little um, contest is about advocacy and just getting people to take action and think about our birds. And even if all they do is vote, you know, it's doing something, it's learning, it's conversation. When he's commenting on the fact that America finds it very easy with its uh, wealth and influence to interfere in elections in other countries. He said it a few times. I think people don't quite understand that that really is at the heart of this. Um, he's, he's also helping us, and he's really in, in, been engaged with us, and we're terribly grateful. You know, it hasn't been... He hasn't imposed himself on it. He could have done this without our permission. It's all been um, really friendly and enjoyable to work with him. But he's making a point, yes. and we're making a point. Apart from, apart from calling us Australia at one point on the Jimmy Fallon show, I potato, suppose... Potato, potato, uh, Mark. <laughs> potato, potato. Wow. You are deep in the pocket of big John Oliver no, here. No, I, I so was actually is, a bit offended. I was myself offended okay. at that point, but he did correct himself pretty quickly. <laughs> so a bit of a dual mandate here. He's doing a satirical thing about US election interference and you're raising awareness for our birds. But but for us, of course, we have this kind of attachment to this vote. It actually means quite a lot to us. Mm. And uh, maybe... The Poo Tiki Tiki wouldn't have won without John Oliver's help here. So, is it robbing us of a chance to really uh, to, to, to crown our real bird of the century? 
I don't believe so. In fact, I, I, I heard you talking to Evie before that you didn't know about the Pūtekiteki. I didn't know the Māori name, which was uh, I feel bad about, but I have seen um, the Pūtekiteki in Lake Wanaka. They're actually a really beautiful bird, mm. and they're in real trouble. And this is this is again the point of bird of the century like if you remember the rock wren last year most people will never ever see them they're tiny they're in impossible places and suddenly for a few days we were able to talk about the rock wren what a remarkable little bird it is nuggety little bird um, and the threats to its future because yeah, it's, it's, almost, so it's almost been like the kiwi came second but we already have lots of efforts underway to conserve the kiwi lots of people know about those we do and we love them and i mean i think any of the what 76 birds that we had this year you know they're, they're all winners mm-hmm. um and, and I, I guess that's the message i'm trying to get across you know the the campaign managers for the kiwi the campaign managers for the care the the second and third place getters they just went hard they got more than 13 000, uh, more than 12,000 votes mm-hmm. each of them and about 900 votes between them they, you know, I just, I love the energy and we know that people care and we know that genuinely there are people who are upset. But it could have been, you know, if you didn't vote for the top bird, you were always going to be disappointed. And it's that passion. Are those campaign managers, are they they gutted that they put all this work in and then got absolutely steamrolled? I think there'll be just only 290,000 votes in it, mate. Yeah, it was close. Good effort. I I think they've been, I mean, they've both actually, you know, had time on John Oliver's show, which is pretty good to talk about, you know, their their birds and have the profile. Something like 100, more than 190 countries. Even I didn't know that until we crunched the numbers. Numbers, and we've had votes from. So the yeah. conversations are, are happening in media and in countries and in households. I love the fact, actually, in a way that people feel so, so involved in this, that they're upset that their birds are not um, the, the official bird of the century. But I think all of our manu are bird mm. of the century. I mean, every mm. single one of them has a story. Most of them are under threat. And and that's the messages that we try to get. Look, that's not about a trophy. There's no $100,000 cash prize to, to be with this. We're going to have a little, you know, Hall of Fame, Manu Hall of Fame eventually, I think. Yeah. And it will be the bird of the century. But most of the birds in the top 10 actually are former birds of the year. So they've yep. also had their time in the sun and be, you know been celebrated and enjoyed and had conversations about them. So please, everybody, take take it in the spirit with which we <laughs> meant it and understand that that from this, we just want people to take action to be aware of of what they can do to help. Mm. You know, it can be keeping your cat in at night, or it can be putting a trap in your garden, or it can be writing a submission. And if you really care, the next stage is to is to join organisations like ours. And take action and help because mm. our birds are really, really in strife. So many L- threats to them, honestly. Lynn, I had a, we had a text before uh, from Christchurch. Curious of Christchurch, um, ask Lynn if Forest and Bird got lots of donations. I think there was a new story about this tonight as well. Uh, the donations uh, for the Bird of the Century competition. I mean, do you have an idea? Did a lot of money come in from overseas? Look, there's, there's no question that this, just as it's a record number of votes, it will be a record um, donations for us. They're still being toted up, to be honest, but kind of been really focused on getting yes. the votes right. Um, <laughs> and that's why we're, you know, a couple of days later than we meant to be. But for sure. And, I mean, my theory is that with so many Americans voting, you know, they tend to tip. 
it's kind of part of their the nature and 10 American dollars which is was sort of the the the, the minimum um, donation I think we had you know 10 American dollars is a lot of New Zealand dollars so <laughs> we're going to benefit from the fact that the um, the exchange rate is very much in the Americans favor so yeah that's that you know without donations we can't do what we do what we've been doing for a hundred years now mm. Um, mm. and this competition has been around for 18 um, I, I hope it's around for the next organize you know for the next time there's a the second bird of the century in 99 years I won't be here neither will John <laughs> Oliver but, but the birds will still be in trouble and conservation groups like ours will still be needed and I hope these conversations I hope we have enough birds yeah. you know n- not gone extinct we had five extinct birds this year making a point that you know that they haven't all gone extinct you know hundreds of years ago that that's still happening now and we have mm. so many teetering just on the edge you know I I I want all the birds that we're celebrating this year to be with us next year and the years beyond. So, you know, we'd just like to thank everybody who voted. And I hope you're not too disappointed. And I'm so pleased (laughs) that you voted and every vote counted. And that top 10 is a beautiful, beautiful list. Of, of Manu and different stories behind them and that's what we've asked people to tell I us. I think the, the Keredu's on there though, is it? No, I didn't make the top ten. No, it is a, for, it is a former, it is a former um, bird of the year, I'm very sure. Yes, I know, the pigeon yeah. on the tank top, that line that they had. <laughs> yeah. was, you know, was, like the Kiwi the r- from now on is the rat carrying the toothpick. Yeah, poor Kiwi, but also yeah. they're a bad-tempered bird, so they deserve a bit of... <laughs> no, no, Kiwi. They, no, no, they're no. bad-tempered. I, I was with Kiwi recently. They're, I was told they're quite grumpy. Um, no, I hang out with them at Zealandia. I, I go on the night tours, and I've never met a grumpy keyboard, well, certainly not with people. I adore them. I, I think that's libelous. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we, we shouldn't debate this. Can you, Before you go, can you give us a bit of a backstage, kind of a back, behind-the-scenes view? What was it like dealing with John Oliver's team and his network? I, we, we actually had one person who dealt with him, and that's the best way to do this, and this is my colleague, Alan Rikers. And just, just so you know, I mean, you know, this has been an interesting um, secret to hold. It was all on. They approached us we said go for it the writer strike happened in Hollywood so for a few months there this was off the table we didn't know until the writer strike was resolved whether this would happen so it was really touch and go uh, so that was tense um, mm. I don't think we had any idea how full-on John Oliver and his team were going to go for, for it um, you know the costumes and the puppets oh, no. and the billboards kind of blew us away uh, <laughs> I mean that budget is phenomenal so but I think the spirit of it has been has been good. And when he says he loves New Zealand, I believe him. And when he yeah. says he actually loves our birds, I believe him. And he's been very supportive of us. I'd love to say, look, Hayden and, and Mark, I'd love to say this was part of a plan that we had from the start of the year. And every step has been beautifully um, planned out. Uh, that is not the case. This has been a roller coaster for us. I think we're surprised at where it's led us and it has been overwhelming for a really tiny organisation mm. um, but you know, I'm, I think one of the joyous things was in the news bulletin just how happy the putekiteki uh, people in Lake Wanaka are who are doing all that hard work, you know that kind of to me was gold, so yeah look, full on um, we, we had to delay the results, put our hands up to explain why. I think the weirdest question I was asked in many interviews today was, had we thought about manipulating the results <laughs> so, so that I the person didn't win? Cutting, I wanted that. I wanted that. Yeah, I thought you might do, you'd disqualify some, some ballots or something, oh, but we, you we didn't. We disqualified um, several hundred thousand were disqualified for being fraudulent yes. or unvalidated. So when we say that there were 380,000, know, 350, 380,000 yeah. validated votes, you know, almost as many again 
we had to get rid of. And that's why it takes time because, you know, one person, as you say, Hayden voted for 40,000, you know, 40,000 votes for the rock copper. <laughs> Cute hipster penguin. Love it to bits. Mm-hmm. Um, so that takes time to go through every single vote. But most of them were entered with open hearts and people really thought about their birds of the century, our New Zealanders. Record number of New Zealanders voted. Thank you for every single vote. Do you think you'll make any changes next year to the rules, like to make it a New Zealand only thing? Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or been asked that... that, Mark. I think that's a valid question. Uh, this is, I would not say that. And to be honest, if John Oliver came back and said he'd like yeah. to support, you know, a different bird or the same bird for Bird of the Year, we wouldn't say no. That would be madness. I yes. mean, that you know, we. Other <laughs> US TV hosts, other famous people trying to get on the bandwagon as well. No, I don't, think, a... I don't think they will. Although Jimmy Fallon was having a very yes. funny time, wasn't he? That was one of the funniest things yeah. I saw when he was interviewing John Oliver in the Puteke suit. Oh my God, I love that. I love that. Out you should get the suit. He should donate the suit. We'd, we'd love the suit, but we can have that <laughs> conversation. I mean, the, yes. the, 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 the puppet might be harder to get across because yeah. get the suit big. too to Papa. But but yeah. no, I mean, it's the, the fact. Is that it's 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 open access, and we love every single one of our campaign managers, and they don't have to have John Oliver's um, sense of humour or budget to be part of this wild ride. But I suspect next year we're not going to be courting overseas. He came to us. Um, I, I'm very happy when it's grassroots, yeah. and we simply have campaign managers all around the Motu, uh, you know, going out there and doing their thing, whatever their budget, uh, and and um, just just their enthusiasm and love for the, the birds that they really care so deeply for. That's that's the that's the payoff for for Bird of the Year stroke Bird of the Century. Another text here, uh, Lynn, uh, as Lynn says, let's not lose sight of the fact that it couldn't matter less to the survival of our native birds themselves. Who wins? What matters is that people care enough to want to know about and see greater investment in nature in New Zealand. That's from AJ. So that, that's uh, the point made. Double well thumbs up, well, AJ. Thanks, thanks Lynn. <clears throat> and also congratulations on running an election with a clear winner. <laughs> no <laughs> judicial review required. No, judi- no, 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 coalition. no <laughs> jostling about with Winston Peters. No, no no negotiating with the Kia. Over Bird we've, feed. we've got it <laughs> look forward on to the, the day. Vic- look forward to the victory speech. We actually did have um, Tom Sainsbury do a, a victory speech. If you can go on, online and find it, it was hilarious. A little <laughs> victory speech for the Grebe this morning, which has kind of gone viral. Um, overseas interest in that too. So thank you, Tom Sainsbury. <laughs> um, you're a star. And I, I look out for um, John Oliver's um, victory dance, I imagine. <laughs> He's collecting material as we speak. Uh, and that will come out on Monday evening. I'm oh, looking great. forward to it. Excellent. Well done, Lynn. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye, guys. Okay. And, well, I suppose we'd better go on to the other election as the little country waits. Uh, we've had uh, certainly a ramp up in negotiations, of course, this week. Yeah, five weeks after I think the election was held, we've had the leaders of New Zealand First National and Act finally getting in a room together. Uh, Toby, they actually released a photo of this momentous occasion. Or, well, at least Christopher Luxon and Winston very much grinning. David Seymour look at, looking a little bit more circumspect. Toby Manhire of the spin-off, he put together a detailed analysis of the photo. It has 12 points. Point number five, I'll just note this one. Peters is sporting, this is in his words, a classic two-point-fold pocket square. Sometimes called a two-peak, this is a clear signal that he regards the talks as principally involving two mighty maunga and also David Seymour. <laughs> okay, well... I mean, even as this troika were finally, though, maybe starting to form a government, one opinion columnist was casting doubt on the election result that got them into that room in the first place. Which columnist was that? Well, in in the New Zealand Herald this morning, we had Richard Preble, the former ACT leader, saying that there are reasons to doubt the result of the 2023 general election. Now, that is a 
pretty big claim. What evidence does he have to back it up, you ask? But, well, as it turns <laughs> out, not, not, not a huge <laughs> amount, mainly a series of anecdotes and hearsay. He says he knows some people that voted using their old address that when he was involved in campaigns, he sometimes found evidence of electoral fraud that, fraud that election day enrollment enables voter fraud because you can't check the eligibility, eligibility of electors or voters. Has he dyed his hair orange by any chance? I, I <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of people would dispute some of these claims and they are a bit anecdotal and they might only affect electorates and maybe they wouldn't actually impact the result of the election overall and several journalists have noted that same thing. So you had on X, you had X former Twitter newsroom yes. political editor Sam Sashdeva called them hunch-based accusations and his colleague Mark Dalder took aim at the Herald for even publishing the piece. He said, if I were one of the country's leading newspapers, I would simply not publish baseless allegations of voter fraud in the form of opinion pieces with no additional fact-checking or context. So, too much speculation for serious allegations. Is there anything in that column that, you know, was definitely inaccurate? There was at least... One thing that I know of, the piece is actually headlined, High Court Must Decide If the Vote Counters Got It Right. And it ends with Preble calling for a petition to be lodged with the High Court to challenge the party vote. So that's Mm. the important one. Uh, The lawyer, Graham Edgler, he is pretty well-versed in election law. He helpfully clarified that the High Court does not have the jurisdiction to hear an election petition related to the party vote. So a bit of a pointless request from Richard Preble there. So that's the Herald in, uh, in hot water. It's not the first time. Not first time over an opinion piece, mm. at least. I mean, this it seems like a little bit of a problem. If there is any fallout from the column, it would add to another time from last year when it was the subject of an upheld complaint to the Media Council after it published a column from National Shane Retty. It was actually originally the Northern Advocate, but republished on NZME and the Herald site. And, and that included a graph which distorted suicide statistics during the pandemic. You also had Preble. He was a subject of allegations of factual errors, uh, I think, last year as well, over a column he wrote arguing that COVID lockdowns were New Zealand's greatest policy failure. And in that column, he said that modelers had predicted there would only be 100 cases of COVID during, I think, the 2021 Auckland COVID outbreak. And the modeler he cited there, Sean Henley, Hendy, actually took issue with that, saying that the estimate of 100 cases was not for the whole outbreak, but for how many cases there were at the time it was detected. So, I mean, again, I just want to make a case for more fact-based opinion columns, a bit more scrutiny on these things, because it seems that people can make truth claims in these opinion columns, and they're not always checked as rigorously as reporting, uh, news reporting. And I think they deserve to be edited and scrutinised just as vigorously as mm. reporting. And uh, maybe we need to actually put a few better, a few, few more processes in place to make sure that fact claims in opinion pieces are in fact factual. Mm. It's not just opinion, though. I mean, political news in general has sort of been strange. It's taken a, a strange turn in this period. But yeah, it feels like the media's got a little bit of like cabin fever, a little bit antsy yeah. or something. Uh, enough uh, to do. Maybe not, yeah. There's running between corridors, chasing Winston around the airports, and I think Colin Peacock, uh, my boss, covered that a bit yes. in last weekend's Media Watch. 
Now, he, he noted News Hub, they have their coalition cauliflower, and that's a slowly rotting cauliflower with googly eyes that they're using to measure the length of coalition negotiations. What will last longer, the cauliflower or the coalition negotiations? I do have a little bit of an issue with that because it's modelled on the Liz Trust lettuce, which was mm. meant to measure whether the lettuce would last longer than Liz Trust's time as Prime Minister. <laughs> now, that was meant to be about how short her tenure was. This cauliflower is measuring negotiations that are dragging on. It's it's an inversion of the form. It's about something that's lasting long rather than a short time. It's wrong. Anyway, the, the, the general <laughs> tenor of the coverage, I think, has been heavy on mixed me- metaphors, breathless reporting on not much that's actually happening. Mm. I want to highlight something Audrey Young in her politics briefing today. She begins by saying, we're at the stage of coalition talks where it becomes clear that 6.08% of the party vote can mean 100% veto on other parties. Welcome to MMP. That's the system we've had for 30 years. Uh, then, But the strange thing then is that she goes on to give a bouquet to Chris Luxon for accepting that forming a government can't be rushed. Now, fair enough in some ways, and those two things aren't exactly contradictory, but of course you could point out the National might have helped create this lengthy interregnum between governments by saying it would work with New Zealand first before the election and thus helping establish that dreaded 6.08% veto. Having said all that, it's most of it, it's been a nice break from the election, uh, Tyrone. It was so full on, wasn't it, leading up and through that election process um, uh, over the last few weeks. You know, it's been a breather. I think so. Uh, I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. I've I've really enjoyed the last month and a bit. <laughs> It's been blessedly light on political news, and that's given other stuff a bit of a chance to to shine, like the bird of the century yes. competition, I guess. On the local front, at least, we've had a lot of sport, the black caps and the semi-finals. Uh, there's just a, a bit more room for other stuff once the political sparring goes off the front page. So it's been a bit of a nice break. Nice I have enjoyed the change of pace. I don't know if our audience has. Maybe they're yearning for a government. If you, if you are or if you aren't, text us, yeah, 2101. Us and we've got a text here saying, what a great distraction from the woes of the world was the bird of the century. Such uh, innocent, great fun. Um, and not so much fun in Mumbai at the moment. One twenty for one. Oh, uh, yeah, just speaking of overs. woes of the world, just yeah. turned turned around to see that. Yes. Anyway. Shubman Gill's got a 50. Now, we're serious here because, of course, it's, it's such a terrible situation in the Middle East. Uh, just moving on to the biggest international story, the war in Gaza. Uh, you wanted to highlight some examples of speech being stifled, including from journalists uh, criticising Israel's actions. Yeah, speech being stifled. It seems to be that there's a crackdown internationally on particularly pro-Palestinian protest and speech, and that does impact on the media as well. But just first of all, I'll just highlight the author and academic, Freddie DeBoer, he put together a collage of headlines from around the world on his substack, just showing how governments and companies are cracking down on pro-Palestinian speech or calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. And that includes Germany banning some protests, US representatives or one US representative putting forward legislation aimed at banning Palestinians from entering the country, uh, US universities banning or deregistering pro-Palestinian groups on campus. And we've also had multiple articles delving into how social media companies are apparently cracking down on pro-Palestinian voices. Are there local examples for that sort of crackdown? 
Well, not not as many. It seems to be particularly prevalent in the US. Uh, on the social media front, though, it's a strange story. The uh, the Instagram account of the restaurant Ema, which is run by a Jewish chef, Yael Shohat, and it was suspended by Instagram. And for, we don't know the reason, but Shohat has been pretty outspoken campaigning for a ceasefire in Gaza, outspoken including on her social media and her Instagram. She told the Herald's Vita Molyneux, Molyneux that she suspects but can't prove that her account was taken down after it was reported in response to her advocacy for the Palestinian people. Now, in addition to that, there was, of course, that storm of criticism, including allegations of anti-Semitism that was directed at Green MP Chloe Swarbrook mm-hmm. after she used the phrase from the river to the sea. Uh, which the crowd at this protest that she was at completed with the words, Palestine will be free. And uh, she did that at a rally. And this is a 60-year-old protest chant that Palestinians say is a call for a single democratic state in what's now Israel, but Israel and its backers have interpreted as a call for the elimination or a tacit call for the elimination of Israel. Now, uh, these kinds of allegations of anti-Semitism have also been directed at several academics in New Zealand over the past couple of months, have been critical of Israel's policies and actions. And look, I think they can have a chilling effect on speech. People that are meaning to criticise Israel's government feel like they're being censured or rebuffed as anti-Semitic. And I have to say, it is a a little (laughs) jarring seeing that some of those that are most strident in their condemnation are the most outspoken defenders of free speech. And uh, maybe that's okay. You you can have speech and counter-speech, but some of these people have been the loudest and most vociferous campaigning against the chilling effects of so-called cancel culture. And so I kind of think that that conflicts with spending a week calling for people to be censured over the potential second-order geopolitical implications of a decades-old protest chant. Now, some journalists have also been pushing back against what they say are restrictions on their speech and, in some cases, threats to their safety when it comes to covering Palestine. Yeah, there has been, well, the last count was 42 reporters killed during Israel's bombardment and subsequent military incursion into Gaza and a letter signed by 750 journalists and authors that many of them actually quite prominent have strongly condemned what they call in some cases the targeting of journalists in Gaza. I think I spoke last time about one uh, such case on the Lebanon border where a press pack felt they were targeted by the Israeli military. Now the letter also criticises I think US newsrooms in particular for what they say is dehumanising rhetoric about Palestinians, the minimization of Palestinian Muslim and Arab voices and what they say is double standards, inaccuracies and fallacies in reporting on the war. And the letter ends with a call for more exacting and critical coverage, even if it means using some controversial terms like, for instance, apartheid. It ends with the words contorting our words to hide evidence of war crimes or Israel's oppression of Palestinians as journalistic malpractice and an abdication of moral clarity. There's been some notable local coverage so that hasn't shied away from that kind of language. Yeah, and I hasten hasten to say, not a, not a huge amount of it, and I, some, uh, but I did find it interesting that the Otago Daily Times actually published a lengthy feature which delves a lot into the history of uh, Gaza, Palestine, uh, and and it's actually a, in its weekend magazine. 
and it's asking whether Israel's treatment of Palestinians represents what it calls the new apartheid. And that's by Tom McKinley. He's a journalist there, and it's free online if you want to seek it out. Mm-hmm. Now, onto a bit, uh, bit of lighter local material. The One News website's launched a life section. Yeah, a life section for the for One News. I think we RNZ might be planning something similar as well. Mm-hmm. And public media getting into lifestyle content, but it's got all sorts of articles on the TV or the One News website. All sorts of topics. There's one today on whether it's too early to put your Christmas tree up yet. Yes. You'd think it is, you know, if you text us your thoughts on 2101. Good talkback topic, that one, actually. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah there's, there's also an advice column there, multiple book reviews. Look, the book reviews, I'd have to say, are pretty refreshing. We don't actually have we, – well, we've got a few sort of literary writers, but we've, we're running out of music critics. We've mm. got, not got that much cultural coverage around these days. So it is genuinely music good. Music 101, get, book reviews on We Catherine employ Ryan. Tony Stamp for some reason and yeah. also <laughs> – sorry, Tony's a friend. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte Ryan. We, we've got a few, but th- th- we're genuinely starved of it in the wider media environment. There's yeah. been a lot of cutback. There's not that kind of – remember when you had Time Out in the yeah. year and it had a heap of those kind of writers? Reviews, and, concert and, reviews. I remember – magazines like Paperboy come and go and we really have got fewer mm. uh, music writers in particular mm. uh, and look many of the stories on TVNZ's news section are lighter, they're personal content some of them are penned by the organisation's journalists so if I have a, a little minor kind of gripe a little bit of scepticism there's stuff like John Campbell on the healing power of music, Corazon Miller on ballet Does yeah, Do people want to know what think about their lives? I guess, I mean, for me, I think you and I, Mark, are the most interesting people in the world. (laughs) Well, you are definitely. Thank you so much. (laughs) I mean, I I can't imagine anyone not being interested in us, but clearly there is some people that are interested in journalists. There's an audience for it. Look at the front covers of magazines like Women's Day or the TV Guide. You'll often see Sam Hayes on there or whatever. But I do sometimes wonder whether people really want to hear us talking so much about ourselves. I, I sometimes suspect that people just want us to report the story more than they want us to be the story. I have to same. And look, I, I, I sound a bit like a grouch there. I, I feel a bit bad about it. Colin's a bit more grouchy. I want to blame Colin here. Colin's maybe, Colin's more grouchy on this than me. I'm lighthearted. Yes. I'm, I'm positive. <laughs> but well, sometimes I mean, the other thing is can get a bit much. Content is king, isn't it? And, and to fill those inches, um, you know, to have people like John Campbell or Corris and Miller there to, to fill the gap. It's I think so. When you're launching pickings. a news, yeah. When you're launching a new section, sometimes it can be a bit easier yeah. to ask your own journalist to pump out a little bit of a light and fluffy thing about their lives. Now, what's uh, what's the stuff uh, downsizing Po Tiaki? Yeah, Madeline Chapman of the spin-off, her, their editor, she wrote a feature on the weekend noting this, that Po Tiaki is losing three of its team members who were on fixed-term contracts funded by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Mm-hmm. And the section, I think it might be going from five or six roles down to three. It will still have three roles attached to it going forward. But it is trimming back. And a lot of media organisations are going through restructures at the moment. Well, I think this is particularly significant because the Potiaki section was set up as part of uh, Tamato Pono, which was Stuff's comprehensive apology for and investigation into its history of racist coverage, particularly of Māori. And it, it was born out of that. It was Stuff would say it's not calling that commitment into question, that it does, still does have that 
uh, commitment, but it, maybe it erodes it a little bit. Or mm. it's certainly less resourcing going towards it. And besides those two Potiaki roles, two other public interest journalism fund roles are going as well. And they were also uh, primarily reporting on underserved communities. 